How many of you have ever heard of the name Philip Rosedale? Which is really interesting to me, actually. Because if you have it, you will. At some point in your life. Uh, well, let me ask you another question. And, okay, no self-righteousness here. Everybody has to answer honestly. How many of you have ever wished you had another life? Come on, let's be real here. Come on. You can't tell me that it hasn't crossed your mind that the one you have just isn't the one you want. Let's do this again. How many of us here have wished we had another life? Raise them high. Well, for those of you who are not willing to say you are, okay, I'll go with that. Well, Philip Rosedale is an 80s computer whiz kid who grew up And in 2003, he achieved one of his lifelong dreams of creating what's called a metaverse, okay? A metaverse is a virtual reality world, okay? It's called Second Life. Second Life is a virtual community where any person who isn't happy with the life they have in this world can create a whole new one, all right? A whole new one. And to date, I want you to think about this. To date, right now, the population of Second Life community is more than 70 million strong. 70 million strong from over 200 countries. It's growing at a rate of 350,000 new accounts every month. Now, I want to put that in perspective. If Second Life was a nation... Did you know it would be the 20th largest nation in the world? Did you hear that? If the Second Life community was a nation, it would be the 20th largest nation in the whole world. It, it made over $80 million just last year for its creators because they use real money in this. And it has a gross national product that's greater than way more than half the countries of the world. Folks, this isn't a video game. This is an alternate life option for those who don't like the one you have. And you know something? I'm just going to be really honest with you. You know, and Matilda can tell you this. Every day I was in corporate world, every single day I wished I had another life. And this may come as a shock for you, but there were a lot of Saturdays at Stewart Presbyterian Church where I would turn to Matilda and say, what are they paying greeters down at Walmart now? You know? So... Maybe, maybe you haven't wished you had a second life, but I can tell you right now, there were a lot of times in my life that I wished I had a second life. I wished I had any other life than the one I had. Just to put it more into perspective, in a recent Harris poll, did you know that over 82% of Americans are dissatisfied with the life they now have? That's, that's 8 out of 10, folks. And I've got to be honest with you, millennials, 88% of millennials wish they had a second life. So much so that 36% of those millennials would go through drastic surgery just to have a different life. They would change their bodies, something about them, they would, they would go through drastic surgery to change who they are. Sadly, many people in our culture today struggle with hopelessness because they cannot imagine their life different. And they feel that to experience any meaningful joy and happiness, 
They have to find it in a virtual world that doesn't really exist. Now, while a virtual metaverse is imaginative, I give it that, it really is imaginative. I was half tempted to go on and look at it and actually sign up for an account and see what they're doing in there. Its very existence depends on the death of our own ability, folks, to imagine a real life in our real world that's different from the one we have. Did you hear that? The, the very existence of second life depends on the death of your and my own ability to imagine a real life in a real world that's better than the one we have. It's so easy to get into our ruts and to fall into the if it ain't broke, don't what? Oh, come on, you know the answer. If it ain't broke, what? Yes! It's so easy to get into that mentality, isn't it? And just go on with what we have. And in doing so, here's what happens. We miss out on something important that God wants us to feel and experience. The awe of living the Christian life. When was the last time your heart raced at something where you saw or you sensed God at work in your life? Maybe never. And that's okay, because God wants to do that. So the more I thought about this, the more convinced I became eventually coming to the point that I decided that while imagination may have died in our culture, there could and should be a rebirth of imagination at Stuart Presbyterian Church. And especially in my life and in your life, right? So today, I want you to do something, if you will. I want you to imagine with me what this church, Stuart Presbyterian Church, could be like today, here and now, as together we look at three passages landing in the end at what the first church was like when it sprang to life in the time of the apostles. We're going to do it really quickly, okay? Uh, and I got to tell you, from Genesis throughout Scripture, this is a consistent theme. You meet a lot of flawed people who wish they had a second life. But gladly and greatly, that's what God's in the business of, folks. He's in the second life business. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. Now, just to add a little spice to the discussion, I want to remind you that our world today is not that different quite honestly, culturally, from the apostles' world. We may think, you know, it was 2,000 years ago, but it really is not that different. We share some of the same striking similarities to the first century world where the infant church developed, grew, and prospered. So, when we land there, I want you to remember that. In the end, it's important to see and realize that the all of living the Christian life is not dependent on our circumstances as much as it's dependent on our picture of God and our willingness to use our own imagination. Do you hear that? It's not depending on your circumstances. And I know we have a lot of interesting circumstances floating in this church today, where you are in your life, each of you, me. It, those are not as important as our picture of who God is and our willingness to use our imagination. You see, it's so easy to become trapped in the what is, circumstances, that we completely miss out on the what could be and the what should be. 
God is a God who moves us from the what is. Hear that. He's a God who moves you and me from the what is through the what could be to the what should be. So this morning, I'm asking you, imagine with me a second life for our church community, for you, for me. Let's pray. Lord, the, one of the first things that keeps us from getting our imagination going is our brokenness, our sin, or just our circumstances. So Lord, today, we lay those on this altar in front of me. We lay our, our brokenness, we lay our sin, we lay anything that would separate us from you and would disable our imagination. We put it on this altar and we come before you, Lord, with a clean slate that you might write a new life on it and transform us, Lord, today. Nobody, nobody leaves here. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Nobody leaves here the same. We leave transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Now, if you would, please turn with you in your Bibles. That's that black book again. Grab it. Please use it. It's really important that you do this. Uh, I know that we've been doing this every week, but just keep doing it. Grab that black book. Turn with me to page 1243 in your, in your Bibles. The Apostle Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, burst forth with this incredible doxology. It's called a doxology. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more all than all we ask or imagine. There's that word. According to the power that it is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, our passage is called a doxology, which simply means it's an expression of praise to God. That's what a doxology is. You know, we, we, we used to sing the doxology all the time when we would take the offering, you know, and I haven't done it in a while, we might I'll just throw it in one day so we remember actually what it sounds like, you know. But, because, uh, I mean, the pandemic really kind of messed with us in so many different ways, didn't it? You know? But anyway, this is, this is an actual doxology. It, means, it just simply means an expression of praise to God. But the real irony to this burst of praise, folks, is that if you'll turn to the very first verse of this chapter, go back to the first verse of chapter 3. And then you're going to see that Paul is writing this letter from where? Yes, a Roman prison, as we talked about last week. You know, Paul actually spent a lot of time in Roman prisons. Prisons are dark places for the human soul and spirit. They're places that push people to desperation, to despair, to humility, and to hopelessness. Yet, here we have Paul singing out in praise to God. And in that prayer, he challenges us to do something remarkable. To dream about a life of adventure. Walking with a God who has the power to explode into our world and do things that are even beyond our wildest imagination. And even more incredibly, Paul tells us that the same power is within every true believer. Did you catch that? That's the power. It's in us who believe. Now the word we translate, able to do, see it in there, immeasurably more, you know, he, now, excuse me, now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more. That word, one Greek word, able to do, it comes from the same Greek word that we get the English word dynamite from. Did you know that? It's the same word. 
And it refers to a power that's explosive. A power that once exerted, it changes everything. It changes the landscape, folks. Of course, the power that Paul's referring to here is God in the person of the Holy Spirit, whom the Bible calls the Spirit of Jesus, our Lord. The power of Jesus in a person's heart is explosive and life-transforming. It is a power that can shatter even the hardest heart and heal even the most broken life. It's a power that's when added to our imagination can take the pieces of a broken marriage, a broken family, a broken vocation, a broken friendship. You put the the, the thing in there, whatever's broken in your world, it's a power that can take that and can put these pieces back together in a way that's new and unbreakable. So this morning, I'd like to start off by asking you to observe this one thing. Throughout the Bible, it's consistent that God calls upon his people to use their imagination to move beyond the brokenness of a sinful world, the what-is world, to a place where God gives us a new picture of the what could be, and then by the power of his Holy Spirit, he moves us to the what should be, the world where he reigns. Then God invites us to join him there, to work beside him in that world, the world that's beyond our imagination. Now, I want to look at these three passages just quickly because I want you to see it from throughout Scripture, that the way God takes the brokenness of our little world, the one that we wished we had a second, third, or fourth life, and he changes it if we're willing to participate. Okay? Uh, and, and I think if you write these down and go back and look at them this week and apply them to your life, you'll be glad you did. You'll be blessed, actually. So the first passage is Genesis 3.14. It's a simple one. It's on page 3. Wow, that's easy to get to, isn't it? So turn to page 3 in your black Bibles if you have a different Bible, which I, I'm, I think if you have your own Bible, you maybe you should bring it, okay? And, and start using it again because it's a lot of fun to do that. But turn to page 4. That, that's not a dig. That's just, I think it's really fun to read our own Bible, right? So... In this passage, God is speaking to both Satan and Adam's wife, Eve, right after Satan's great deception, which caused Eve to open that Pandora's box of sin. Eve stands reduced before God and her husband in utter defeat. We've all been there, haven't we? Reduced? Utter defeat? Because we did something stupid? I know I have. Read along with me. Listen to the word of the Lord. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Aren't you glad I didn't ask you to put your name in that one? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, the significant thing for us for this discussion today, this morning, is that God didn't leave Eve reduced and defeated, did he? Did he? No. In the midst of God's condemnation of Satan's actions is a promise to Eve that one day one of her children will destroy the power that Satan has to poison all humanity. And in this promise, God lifts Eve from the ashes of defeat to challenge her to imagine the victory of a new creation. A new world where the consequences of her actions will not have its devastating effects on her children and her children's children. Of course, that victory was won by Jesus, the son of Eve, 
who defeated Satan on the cross for you and me. So, the from the first moments of creation, see this? First moments of creation, we see that God calls his people, even in the midst of defeat, to imagine victory in Christ, doesn't he? Day one, just, well, actually day three, but who's counting? Perhaps you came here this morning feeling defeated this morning. Maybe that's your world. You know, you want that second life. You'd do anything to get it. Your world is littered with the destruction of your poor choices, or maybe it's the choices of someone else that you didn't have any control over, and they just spilled right over into your world, and you didn't ask for it. But regardless, here you are. If so, if that's you, the reality of God's love for us, and you heard it, the width, the depth, the height, the immeasurable greatness of Jesus' love. That love for us, maybe God is calling you to imagine a God who can lift you from the brokenness of the feet to a place where he lives. The world of the what could be and should be. He wants to do that this morning. I know he does. Second passage, 1 Samuel 15, 34. It's page 304 in the Black Bibles. In this, in this passage, the prophet Samuel was reduced to despair by both the poor choices and actions of King Saul, which led to the loss of Saul's kingdom and the destruction of his family, and by God who decided to replace King Saul as king with someone who has a heart for him. So in it, we see that Samuel loved Saul, and he was devastated when God told him that he was going to take Saul's kingdom away and give it to someone else. Samuel couldn't imagine a better king than King Saul. Think about it. Saul was tall, he was strong, he was handsome, he was charismatic in personality. Samuel loved Saul. So read along with me. Our passage picks up just after Samuel has told Saul that God has rejected him. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you moan, um, excuse me, mourn for Saul? Since I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Now, what is significant for us this morning in our discussion is the reality that God didn't leave Samuel in despair, folks. The problem here is that Samuel loved Saul. It's just that simple. He watched him grow up from a youth to a man before his very eyes, and he simply couldn't imagine a king better than Saul because Saul had all the earthly attributes that a person would want for a king. He, he was beautiful in appearance. He was strong and powerful. He was a warrior who could defeat any enemy just about, and he was a man of vision and courage. He was a man of action. He lacked just one thing, a heart for God. And while Samuel was willing to overlook this one little weakness because of Saul's other strengths, God was not. God wanted a king whose heart was in the right place to lead his people. So when God removed Saul, it broke Samuel's heart. It left him reduced in despair. But God refused to let Samuel waste away in despair. Instead, he invited Samuel to a new joy, a second life. If he would just use his imagination. He came to Samuel and he invited him to imagine a new king by telling him to get his anointing oil. That's what that meant. Get your anointing oil. We're going to do something different. Samuel, we're going we're to anoint a new king. Can you imagine a new king, Samuel? 
one whose heart is right for God? We all know that that was King David, whom God called a man after his own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he was a man after God's heart. You know, there are a lot of things that can reduce us to despair. A divorce, a rebellious child, the death of someone we love, chronic illness, loss of a job. There's so many things that can just reduce us in a moment, in a second. And like Samuel, it's easy to remain mire in the muck of despair and trapped in that perpetual cycle of loneliness and depression. And perhaps that's where one of you is today, one of us. Maybe you're there. You're trapped in that perpetual cycle of loneliness and depression, and you want another life. If this is you, God is calling you this morning to use your imagination because God wants to do a new thing in your life. Whoever you are, that's what God wants for you. God lifted Israel to the heights of splendor through David, and from the heart of David, God brought forth a savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we see that God calls his people, even in the midst of despair, to imagine new joy in Christ. Now, the third and final passage I want you to look at is Acts 1-6. We're gonna run real quick, get to it, page 1156 in your Bibles, jump over. I love to hear those pages turning. Come on, turn them. See, in this passage, we see the last moments that disciples spent with Jesus before he went back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We profess that in the Apostles' Creed. That's where Jesus is. Even now, he's in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, praying for us, you, me, that we might imagine new life with him. Read along with me. Listen to the word of the Lord. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to at this time, restore the kingdom of heaven? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, there's that word again, power, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, what's significant for us today is that Jesus did not leave his disciples powerless to live in a world that can push us to the brink of hopelessness. It can move us to the edge so much so that we want any life better than our life. Instead, he instructed them to wait and he promised them that he would give them the power, there's that word again, the dynamite, not only to live in a sinful broken world, but also the power, the dynamite, the explosiveness to help others do it as well. Now, I don't, fault the disciples for wanting to know if Jesus is going to restore the kingdom right then and there. Think about it for a moment. Jesus is going to be gone in a few minutes, and they're going to be left to face the very same forces that crucified Jesus without Jesus on their own, as well as the very powers of hell itself, knowing that the devil had committed his every thought and resource resource he had to destroying them. That's pretty ominous, isn't it? I wouldn't want to be left alone in that situation either. But the reality here is that Jesus did not leave them alone and powerless. Instead, he promised to be with them always and to empower them to live in this world, to even overcome this world. So much so that the Apostle John would later declare, greater is the power that is in us than the power that is in the what? Help me. World, yes. Our dynamite's 
bigger than his dynamite. I found that it's very easy at times in my own life to feel powerless and unable to affect my own situations. You know, I think that's just life for all of us if we'll admit it. You know, 82% of people already admitted it in front of God in the country. 88% of millennials. But the truth of the scripture is that if we're willing to use our imaginations, God will empower us to rise above our circumstances. It's that simple. And this same power, the dynamite of God, that Paul is speaking of in our main passage this morning when he expresses that praise to God, that dexology from that Roman prison for giving him the grace to imagine the power of God's love at work in him and in God's people, the church, not just him. Folks, we don't need a second life in a virtual world, as actually interesting as that sounds. We don't need it. We don't need a a life in a world that's not real, where nothing's real. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, page 517. I don't actually have this. When you have the first one, let's do a sword drill. First person to get there, yell out the page number for everybody else. 2 Corinthians 517. I'll turn there too. Well, you you can say it in your Bible. It won't mean anything to the rest of us, but go ahead. 1228. All right. Therefore, listen to this. If anyone is in Christ, the what? New creation, second life has come. The old life has gone. The new is here. Do you see that? When we gave our lives to Christ... For those of us who have done that. Some, I know there's some today who are still thinking through that. Don't know if you really want to do that. I mean, I was at that point in my life too. Didn't know if I could trust Christ. That's a whole different story. I'll share that sometime. You know, because I didn't know if I could trust some guy who I didn't, you know, know with my, my life. So it's easy to be there. But for those of you who are there and those of you who are thinking about being there, God can give us a second life. He can, he can take your life right now and give you a second one. And for those of us who are already Christians, who are at the brink of hopelessness because of some things in our lives, he can make that second life good again. He can revive it, use that dynamite to blow up some stuff that needs to go anyway, and put our second lives back on the front row. Put us into the lives of what could be and should be. We are a new creation in him. Real second lives in a real world, not fake second lives and a fake world. Now, I don't know where any of this hits you this morning, but I do know that some of you are really hurting. That's real. I'm not taking that away. Really broken. That's real. I'm not taking that away. And really in despair. And that's real. Real world. But don't give up. God is calling us to use our imagination to find victory, joy, and the true power of living the Christian life through his Holy Spirit. The dynamite, folks, that changes the landscape, and yes, second lives. He wants us to have second lives. I'm inviting you this morning to join me also in the adventurous journey of imagining that together as a church. You know, you're so blessed, and I'm so glad you're back. I'm ready to turn this thing over to you. Uh, You're so blessed to have a pastor 
who believes all this stuff and who preaches the gospel and the truth every week. I love coming to Stuart Press. You know, I tell all my friends, if you come to Stuart Press, Stuart, Virginia, go to Stuart Press. You'll hear the gospel every week, the truth. And you'll meet a lot of fun people too. So I'm inviting you to join me as I joined you on the adventurous journey of imagining together what our lives could be, would be, and should be when we're willing to see things the way God sees them. And if you will commit to this, everything will change. Your life, your family, your church, and your community. I can only imagine what it would look like. Let's pray. Father, we give you honor and glory. We thank you so much for creating us in your image, which means we have your imagination. You gave that to us, and you want us to use it. You don't want us to be mired in old life. You want us to have second life, new life. And you give us that in Jesus. You fill us with your Holy Spirit. The dynamite blows the things apart and creates new life for us, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our community, our country, our world. Real life in a real world is what you want for us. We want that too, Lord. So wherever we are today, find us. Find us and bring us into the world that could and should be, not the one that is. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.